Well, good morning, Providence. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. I don't know how you're planning on spending your Mother's Day, but I would imagine that the plans are quite a bit different depending upon the, the age of the mother, first of all, and the, the health and the family and, and who you have around you. But I hope that the, the mothers have a wonderful Mother's Day, especially if you have small children, you get to spend it at home with your family, and I trust that you will certainly enjoy it. We're going to continue our study of James, and today we'll be in James chapter 2, reading the first 13 verses. And we're getting into the section of James now where he gets into the nitty-gritty of what it means to be a Christian and applying it to our practical life. In the section that we read today, in, in just a couple seconds, we're going to see James applying love of neighbor to matters of financial status. In particular, we're going to see that he, he the snapshot of true faith that, that we're going to see today is that true faith shows no partiality. And so with that, let's begin by reading in James chapter 2 and verse number 1. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing, and you say to sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you go stand over there or sit at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbors yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of, it, of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Humanity is obsessed with externals. The old idiom, clothes make a man, seems, purports to tell us that you can judge the character of a man by what he wears. And all of humanity is not immune to that, and, and that includes Christianity. I grew up in a type of Christianity that was obsessed with externals. You heard such things as, 
his hair is too long, or he has a tattoo, or she's wearing that to church service, or I hear, I heard he has a beard, mustache, etc., whatever that happens to be. Uh, they have a nice house. Uh, they went to a Christian college, or she voted Democrat or Republican, or if you happen to grow up where I grew up, he's wearing a Cubs hat. All these kind of judgments were made when I was uh, growing up. These externals were then used to determine how we are going to treat the person that we encounter. And James' whole point in this passage is to disarm that type of partiality and that type of thinking. And he does it in a very interesting way. In verse number one, he states his principle, show no partiality. In verses two to four, he gives a real-world illustration of the problem. In verses five to 11, he gives three reasons why partiality is wrong. And then finally, in verses 12 and 13, he gives an exhortation that we show no partiality. And so let's go back to verse number one and think about the principle for just a moment. Don't be partial. The command is, is straightforward. He says, show no partiality. That word partiality is, is very interesting to me. It literally means don't receive the face. Partiality is to receive the face. And the idea there is that you are going to take external considerations, uh, somebody's ethnicity, uh, somebody's social status and wealth, or their physical appearance or something like that, and make a judgment on their appearance. On the one hand, judging somebody's external appearance can cause you to overlook uh, flaws in character. When somebody is, is dressed nicely and, and uh, appears well-mannered and gives you a, a good handshake and, and has um, uh, smooth talk, it can cause you to overlook the fact that they're defective in godly character. On the other hand, when you judge somebody by the, the shabbiness of their exterior or by some difference in what you think a, a good person should look like, then you might overlook the fact that they are displaying true virtues, godly virtues, because you're judging the outside appearance. And we know that that's a common, common um, plight of humanity, don't we? All we have to do is go back 3,000 years to the anointing of David as king, and Sam, God told Samuel, man looks on the outside, but God looks on the heart. So let's not make judgments of people's character by looking at the externals. Well, let's look at the problem illustrated by James in verses two to four. He, he gives a very practical, poignant uh, illustration that must have been happening in their churches. This real world illustration involves one man who walks in, and James says that he has, literally the words are gold fingers. Uh, the idea is that he's got gold rings on all of his fingers, 
And a man walking in like that with, with gold rings on all his fingers is an overt, ostentatious display of wealth. He, he would have been presenting to the people in, in the church that he has social rank and he has money. And this person is guaranteed to attract attention to himself or even herself by flaunting their wealth in front of a largely poor congregation. At the same time, James says, there's somebody else who walks in behind Mr. Goldfingers. This person is somebody who's very shabbily clothed. Uh, as a matter of fact, James uses the word poor man walks into the assembly. Now, interesting thing about that word assembly, uses it with Mr. Goldfingers there, is, is you can tell the Jewishness of his recipients by the word is translated assembly. It's literally the word synagogue. And so think back to our history of James and realize that what I, what I told you at the beginning of the series is James is speaking to Jewish Christians who left Jerusalem and that surrounding area to go to other parts of, of Galilee and Samaria and those places where Jews were widely accepted and where they had synagogues because that is where the early Jewish Christians met. They met in synagogues. And so the second person comes in and, and he's dressed in shabby clothes. His poor destitution is, is able to be seen by the word that James uses for the word poor. It's, it's literally the lowest of the low, the most destitute of poor people. This is somebody who has a hard time scraping up the means just to survive. So more than likely, the, the, the clothes that he has on his back are the only clothes that he wears. And most likely, he doesn't have access to facilities to wash his clothes, and therefore, he probably smells. Well, these two individuals walk in, and James says, if you say to Mr. Goldfingers, hey, come on over here and sit here in the good spot, and then you tell the poor man, go stand in the back, then according to James in verse number four, you have made distinctions, and you are guilty of evil thoughts, not just unbecoming thoughts, not just poor thoughts. You're guilty of evil thoughts because you have made distinctions and you have made judgments according to the unchristian and worldly viewpoints of the people around you and not according to the judgments of God. And mark this down. Anytime we take the role of judge and use the world standards to judge, not only are we going to get things wrong, but we're going to fail miserably in the process. So let's ask this question. Why is partiality wrong? Why is it wrong? Well, that's the question that James begins to answer in the next few verses. And we see in, in verses 5 and 6 that partiality is wrong because it's inconsistent with God's choice of the poor. Verse number five says, listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? This is what James is in effect saying. He's saying, think about it for a minute. To be partial 
to the rich and turn your back on the poor cannot possibly correspond to God's character or to his word and will. Now, why is that? It's that way because the Bible is clear, first of all, that many of the earliest Christians in the early church were very poor. Very few of them had any kind of means at all, especially those in Judea that we just mentioned because we, we learned later on in the book of Acts that a, a severe famine came and Paul was in, in a Gentile areas collecting money for the poor Christians in Judea. But only that, um, to be partial to the rich was to turn away from the poor exiles and it's also opposite of God's care for the poor. And what do I mean by that? Well, when you go back to the Old Testament, over and over and over, you see God's provision for the poor. You see in the law that if somebody was too destitute or too poor to bring the regular offering to the temple, they could bring a smaller offering, such as a bird or something like that. As a matter of fact, we know that Jesus' parents were part of that poor group because that's what they brought as an offering for his birth. They brought birds. And so therefore, Jesus' parents were very, very poor as well. But we also see in the Old Testament, God had special care and concern for the poor in that he made provision in the law for the Israelites to provide for the poor. Uh, we, we know, we see that illustrated very well in the story of Ruth. You remember that? Ruth and Naomi came back into, well, Naomi came back into Israel. Ruth came in for the first time, and she was part of the poor widows who were uh, gleaning the corners of Boaz's field and the other fields in the area around Bethlehem. And that was a provision of the law that God gave to the poor. God had special care for the poor. And although most of his people will not be especially wealthy materially, they will have an abundance of faith and um, abundance of faith to believe the gospel and abundance of reward when, it, when they go to heaven. And so therefore, partiality is wrong towards the poor is wrong because it's opposite of God's care for the poor. Secondly, partiality is wrong because it's inconsistent with the conduct of the rich. In verse number six, James reminds them, are not the rich the ones who drag you into court? Now, um, he's basically saying, don't you realize? Now, what is he talking about exactly? I find this very fascinating. The situation that he is describing is most likely the Sadducees and the Pharisees. The Sadducees were extremely wealthy. The Pharisees, some of them were as well. And they were the ones who were oppressing the Christians. They were the ones dragging them into the Jewish courts. Remember, he's talking to a Jewish audience. And they're just continuing the persecution that they did of Jesus. Jesus was constantly being oppressed by the rich Sadducees and Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. He was the one who was dragged into the courts by these people being oppressed. Both of these groups fiercely opposed Jesus during his earthly ministry. 
And then they go on to say, James goes on to say in verse number seven, aren't they the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? Now the word blaspheme there is a word that means revile. And if you read the gospels over and over, you see that the religious leaders are reviling Jesus. They revile him for breaking their Sabbath laws. They revile him for not uh, following their hand-washing code. They revile him for going to eat meals with sinners. And James says, it's this same group of people that are now oppressing you that oppress Jesus Christ. And as they oppress, they also blaspheme, they're reviling you just like they did Jesus Christ. The very name by which we are called Christian means Christian ones. And so partiality is wrong because it's inconsistent with God's choice of the poor. And it's also wrong because it's inconsistent with the conduct of the rich. But thirdly, partiality is wrong because it's inconsistent with the law of love. In verse number eight, James now points to a biblical reason. He says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, and what's that royal law? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. James says, you are doing well. Now, I want to point out something that is in the language of verse number eight. Uh, my ESV says, if you really fulfill. That word there really usually is, is translated, if you instead fulfill the royal law. And so he's, he's not saying if you really do, as in, hey, you're actually doing it, but if instead you fulfill the royal law. Um, what James calls the royal law is what we see as the sum and substance of the uh, Ten Commandments and the law of Moses. Jesus said so much in Matthew 22, 37 to 40. You remember that? He said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might. The second is likened to it, love your neighbor as yourself. And if you do these two things, you have fulfilled the law of Moses. And so perfectly loving God and perfectly loving one's neighbor. And when one loves God and is devoted to God, and when we love our neighbor, we do not intentionally violate um, another person by being partial to someone else or be actually being partial to that person. So perfect love keeps all the commandments, therefore fulfilling the whole law. Now, contrary to what many people say today, this verse is not teaching that we first need to love ourselves, then we can love others. That's what a, a lot of people think that this verse means. It is simply acknowledging the fact that the most basic part of human nature is to love ourselves. For the Bible says, no man has ever hated his flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it. God ingrained in us the desire to nourish our flesh, to, to make sure that we feed ourselves, to make sure that we care for our bodies, Make sure that we're properly dressed. Um, we're the ones we're concerned. We're the ones who are concerned about our looks. We're the ones who's concerned about our job and our career. And so, 
the occupation of our minds is to think about our life and how to make ourselves comfortable and happy. And that concern, God is not necessarily condemning, but what he's saying is that concern ought to be the same kind of concern that we have for others, fulfilling the royal law. And so fulfilling God's sovereign law means that we're going to love others and we're not going to be partial. Discriminating against people, whether it's on the basis of their dress, their nationality, their social status, or race, is a clear violation of unbounded love that God calls us to. And since the command to love is the very heart of the, of the royal law, we transgress that law when we become partial. Now let's think about the law for just a minute, and then we're going to move on because James does. Think about this with me. We like to rank the laws, don't we? We, we do that all the time. For example, me. I'm just going to confess on t the television camera here for all the internet to see that I have no problem driving five miles over the speed limit. To me, that's a minor infraction. I have never gotten pulled over for five miles over. I drive, I've passed cops Police officers, sorry, not cops. I've passed police officers up doing five miles over. And, and to me, that's a minor infraction. However, I could do something else such as steal. And if I think that disobeying the speed limit is here, then stealing is up here, right? And so we rank them. And, and um, the Jews did the same thing. The early Christians did the same thing with the uh, with law. And that's what James is bringing out here in verse number 10. He says, he says, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails at one point has become guilty of it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. If you do not commit adultery but commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. And literally, James says that being partial to another believer in the assembly or another person outside the assembly, being partial to them for some ex exterior reason is as great of an evil, as great as a transgression as murdering or committing adultery. And you have violated all of it because you have violated the character of God. So to show partiality is sin. Well, let's move on to his, his exhortation. In verses 12 and 13, he, he exhorts us to act in a way that's consistent with God's coming judgment. Verses 12 and 13 say, So speak and so act as those who are judged under the law of liberty, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, I want to give you two applications from these last two verses. Number one, act in accordance to Scripture and not in accordance to your culture or your habits. What do I mean by that? James says in verse number 12, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Many Christians have grown up under a certain type of Christianity that takes its cues from the culture around it, from the surrounding culture. 
Their churches are composed of people who look the same, think the same, talk the same, act the same, and they often mistrust or even dislike or alienate somebody else outside of their culture. Whether you or your particular group is black or white or Hispanic or Arab, or whether your group is red or blue or white collar or blue collar, you need to get rid of all of your partiality. Decide right now to agree with scripture and call sin, sin. We saw an extreme result of partiality just this last week in the news, didn't we? With the, the tragic shooting of the man who was jogging through the neighborhood. And I'm sure all of you know that, that particular situation. That is unjust, and that is tragic, and that is a sin of partiality taken way too far. May we never be guilty of that. Second application I want to give you is to let love be your law. He says, act accordance with the royal law or the, in verse number eight, or the law of liberty in verse number 12. James calls command to love your neighbors yourself, that law of liberty. When we encounter people who are different from us, whether they are older or younger, or lighter or darker, or richer or poorer, we need to resist the question, how can I get as far away from this person as possible? And we must answer the question, how can I best love this person in word and action? How can I help her? How can I help him? How can I build this person up? How can I show grace and mercy instead of discrimination and partiality? And frankly, I hear discrimination and partiality in the church all the time. Um, I see it in the church all the time, and it, it's been brought out very clearly with the, the COVID-19 crisis that we're dealing with right now. If, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you've either had a coma, you've been comatose for the last six weeks and haven't been on social media and watching the news or anything like that, or... Um, I'm not going to say what, uh, what the other option may be, but we see partiality. We see people who are of one tribe, and we see people who are of another tribe, and the partiality comes out through social media, and we have to be very careful there. As you seek to apply James' message, ask God to reveal where you may be guilty of favoritism and partiality. Do you target certain groups for evangelism, for example? Do you exclude others? Do you want your church programs, the one you're involved in in the church, to focus on one particular demographic that will bring in more converts or bring in more money? Or um, do you ignore smaller demographics or poorer populations that are in neighborhoods uh, surrounding your church. Uh, we need to be strategic in ministry, but we can't be prejudiced or, or partial in our ministry. I finally, real quick, want to deal with his last verse, verse number 13. James says, For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What does he mean there? 
What does he mean when he says that? What he means, I believe, is that when a man lives without mercy to others, he shows off the fact that he himself has never responded rightly to the mercy of God. His own sins, worthy of judgment, are removed by God's working in his life. And mercy replaces the deserved judgment. And so when he shows mercy, he is not heaping up personal merit to deserve salvation by his own works. Rather, the mercy that he shows is itself a work of God. And he can take no credit for it. And if you come before the judgment seat of God, and he sees you having lived a life that is merciful to others, he will show mercy to you because your mercy will testify to your saving faith. And that is why James says, mercy triumphs over judgment. Praise the Lord that mercy triumphs over judgment. I would guess that there are many that are listening right now, that mercy triumphs over judgment because God was merciful to you. You choose to be merciful to others who you know or think don't deserve it. Praise the Lord. That is an evidence that God has done a wonderful work in your life. Let's think through as a church where we display partiality and where we don't display partiality. And let's work so that we can love brothers, and fulfill the royal law, the law of liberty. Lord, thank you for the work uh, of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We thank you for the, uh, the words of James and written on our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We thank you that Jesus is not partial that we were poor in spirit and needy and you saved us, that you don't look, Lord, to how much money we have or what race we are or what um, uh, party affiliation we are, but rather you look to the fact that out of your love from the foundation of the world, before the foundation of the world, you've loved us. May we remember that, remind ourselves every day in the areas where we tend to be partial, that we need to love as Christ loved us. In his name we pray, amen.